John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And it's also kind of a <clears throat> kind of an interesting day today because Curtis Rogers has returned after his surgery. And so, Curtis, uh, welcome back. Good to be back, John. Great to hear you. Uh, and also great that the Seahawks are 4-0. Maybe I should get more surgeries. They won't, they'll never lose. No, of course. I mean, no, you want to stay away from the surgery. But, of course, that's true. To kind of give everybody a little bit of an update where the surgery was and uh, that it wasn't serious, but something certainly you know, kept you out for some time. Yeah, it was an ankle surgery. Had a bone spur in there. They got it out. Uh, not walking yet. I'm in a boot, so we've got a couple more weeks before I'm I'm on two feet, but yeah, good to be back, but I think people care more about the Seahawks here, Joe. Yeah, they do, and of course, I want to thank uh, everybody who helped fill in. DJ Wilder did such a great job. We yes. had help from Maura Dooley, Ashley Cox, and uh, everybody kind of contributed and helped us to get us through this period of time, And so, uh, but you're back, and we're back, and we're going to get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. A four-man rush. Russ looks right side. Got a man in the end zone reaching up, making the catch. David Moore. Is he in for the touchdown? He is David Moore in the back corner of the end zone. There is a flag down, however. Let's see what that's all about. But David Moore reaches up, makes a catch, looks down, taps his toes in the back of the end zone, and the Seahawks put six on the board. So they put six on the board, and uh, really, <laughs> it should have been more of a blowout, but it turned into a, not a close game, but a game that the Seahawks pretty well controlled, 31-23, and so now the Seahawks are 4-0 and with a chance to go if they can win Sunday night against the 1-3 and Minnesota Vikings, uh, maybe go to 5-0 and and go into the bye week. Russell Wilson continues to be incredible. Uh, got a 16th touchdown pass, 360 yards. He had two touchdowns. But, of course, the most impressive thing was the drive that he had when the headsets won out after it was 17-15, to 15, and he was able to drive down the field and get the touchdown real quick that gave them the chance to win. Chris Carson, very impressive, had 80 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, and caught some passes, fought through what could have been a concussion, but ran over, even out-jumped a, a defender on one play. I think that you can see on defense things got a little bit better but some of that had to be the opponent because you know the Dolphins are one of the worst teams in the NFL as far as their yardage and all that but Ryan Fitzpatrick did a lot of good things he put up a lot of yards but the key for Seattle is that they held everybody to field goals at least except with one exception at the end when they got the touchdown to cut the lead eventually to eight points and so Thought that good performances as far as getting some pressure. Thought some Elton Robinson did some good things. Certainly, I saw you know Benson Mayoa do some good things. But uh, as, as been mentioned by Pete Carroll, when we just listened to him, KJ Wright just had an incredible game. Eight tackles, three. Uh, plays where he batted the ball down. He should have had two interceptions, and so as Pete says, that may have to go in the jugs or something like that to catch a little bit better. Had a forced fumble, big hits, all those different things on the field for all, all but maybe three or four plays. Bobby Wagner out there, he had 12 tackles, and an incredible performance by uh, Ryan Neal, who played the entire game, you know, as Filling in uh, for the two the injuries at the safety position, made some hits, did a lot of good things, and so that's encouraging. And so now this is the first time since 2013 that the Seahawks are four and zero. Uh, and you know, of course, now the argument is going to be: is this team better than 2013? And obviously, the answer is no, because that was a defensive team that was just starting to go with a great running game and a second-year Russell Wilson, and uh, you know, had one of the great seasons. Of course, just blew out Denver in the Super Bowl. So now we're going to talk to Brady Henderson at. 
10.30 about the uh, 4-0 start. Brady Henderson, of course, from ESPN.com. Number two. I want to say I thought it was a letdown of guys, just their energy or everything, but uh, we, we definitely didn't play well today. Um, not to take anything away from Philly or anything, but just from an execution standpoint, um, the whole team playing together um, in terms of um, when one side's doing good, the other side does good also. Um, I just didn't like the rhythm of our whole team today, and um, we'll have to go back to the drawing board tomorrow. So that's Kyle Shanahan talking about the disappointment uh, that's there uh, as far as where it's going for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They lose 17-9 to to uh, a Rams. Well, they end up losing, and of course, uh, 25-20 to Philadelphia. Battered up Philadelphia team, and even more battered up 49er team who lost Ziggy Ansah. He got a torn bicep, so he's done now for the season. So they've lost about everything on the defensive line. Also, the Cardinals lost, and so uh, they're one and three, two and two, but uh, they're not doing too well. And Kyler Murray now has had back-to-back games where he's been off, and so they end up losing to Carolina, and so that uh, is kind of interesting to see. Uh, so that was. So now all of a sudden the division has not gone the way I expected. I thought maybe the Rams would be the fourth place team, but right now they're sitting at three and one. They're playing on defense better than we expected. And Jared Goff's having a good year. So what has been a division, again, we'll see where the 49ers bounce back. They may get Jimmy Garoppolo back this week, but uh, they're so battered on defense. They may also get Richard Sherman back this week. But, you know, where are they? Uh, I know they have some easy games coming up. And, of course, every team in the division in the NFC West has easy games because they're playing the NFC East and the AFC East. But I think right now the 49ers struggle has to be more to injuries than anything else. That seems the most battered team in football. Number three. Protect not only this season, making sure we have a competitively balanced season, but we also needed to protect your 2021 as far as the calendar season moving forward. Uh, if we would have done our crossovers any other way, Yogi, uh, we would have put a number of our institutions in a negative position in regard to having to go to an opponent up to three years in a row, which competitively is just simply unfair. We want to protect not only this season, make it competitive, but we also had to protect 2021. It really narrowed what we could do as far as crossover opponents and keep that continuity and consistency. So that Merton Hanks talking about the schedule coming out here. And, of course, uh, all teams will start their season on November the 7th. Huskies will begin against Cal that weekend. Cougars are going to play Oregon State. The 2020 Apple Cup will be played on November 27th in Pullman. Uh, The first home game for the Huskies is going to be against Oregon State on November 14th. And so far, uh, you know, in their only game against the Pac-12 South team, that's going to be one where Arizona gets to face – I mean, the Huskies face Arizona at home. That's going to be on November 21st. The – title game is going to be December 19th so it's a shortened season only seven games but hey as it stands right now at least there's going to be a season number four game three you are a win away from closing out your fourth WNBA championship it would be historic Sue what do you know about playing in a moment like that that will help you um I don't know anymore to be honest you know people ask me these questions and I feel like I wish I could have something profound Um, You really just have to stay in the moment, possession by possession. They're good. It's tough. These are battles. The score doesn't indicate it. So I'm sure it'll be the same in Game 3. That's Sue Bird, and right now leading the series 2-0 after a 104-91 victory over Las Vegas. Sue Bird and the Storm, you know, certainly one of the great franchises in uh, Seahawks sports history, Seattle sports history, doing well. They have three players getting 20 points. That's Alyssa Clark and Natasha Howard and Brenna Stewart. Sue Bird had double-double with 16 points and 10 rebounds. This would be the fourth WNBA title, and that would tie the Seattle Storm with Minnesota for the most championships in the league season. Storm will go on for the 
series sweep on Tuesday afternoon. That's going to be at 4 o'clock on ESPN. In the NBA, meantime, the Miami Heat pulled out a victory over the Lakers, and so uh, it's now 2-1 to one in favor of the Lakers. Looks like the Lakers and the Storm look like they're going to be the basketball champions. Number five. You know, they're a great team. They've been in this position multiple times over the last several years. So they are a very difficult team to play, which, you know, obviously Minnesota found out in a hurry too, and a very experienced playoff team. So I think more than anything, it just gave us a little bit more confidence during the season that that we finally took a series from the, a, a season series from them. That's Bob Melvin from the uh, Oakland A's, and I think a lot of people rooting for him and the A's because they take on Houston, the Astros, the dreaded Astros, in the beginning of the divisional round going into today. That's going to be at 1 o'clock on TBS. Uh, Oakland's going to start Chris Bassett. Uh, the Astros going to start Lance McCullers. They're going to be on the mound, and that series will take place at Dodger Stadium because of the playoff bubble. Tampa Bay and the Yankees will score off later today. That's going to be at 5 p.m. on TBS. Garrett Coles going against Blake Snell, and they're going to be starting pitchers. The New York Yankees take on Tampa Bay. That's going to be at Petco Park in San Diego. And you can hear tonight's playoff action starting at 6 p.m. as we join that on 710 ESPN Seattle. So that's going to be New York going against Tampa Bay. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up, we go under further review and talk about uh, that, that drive to end the game that uh, in that first half where the Seahawks gambled. And we'll talk about that coming up. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Rush on first and ten. Now Russell's going to scramble left. Looks going to let it fly downfield. Got a man out there wide open making the catch. David Moore knocked out of bounds at the five yard line. Russell Wilson extends the play as he does, and David Moore just got wide open down the near sidelines. And Russ laid it out there perfectly, throwing left. Rolling left, that is, and throwing with his right arm a 69-yard hookup. A big play and, of course, a big gamble, and that's what uh, Russell Wilson's able to do. And I thought what's so interesting about yesterday's game is after the game, Russell Wilson admitted that, uh, you know, there was a uh, headphone issue, so he couldn't hear the play calls, and so he just called his plays and had a big touchdown drive to be able to win the football game. That's how this offense is clicking right now, whether it's Brian Schottenheimer's good calls, the call for the drive that was, you know, at the end. You got Pete Carroll gambling now on some fourth-down situations. Uh, Russell Wilson did make one mistake, and he had a red zone interception, which is so rare. But overall, I know that uh, Pete Carroll did talk to uh, Danny and Gallant about uh, one of the Seahawk drives. The aggression, it happened on the next drive as well. There are a lot of teams that with less than 30 seconds left in the first half, they're going to say, you know what, we're going to take a knee here, even with two timeouts. You guys attack downfield quickly, and then with six seconds left, in a situation where maybe if a play takes a little bit too long, you might not have an ability to kick a field goal at the very end. You guys went for the touchdown again, too. Yeah, well, the first thing, the offensive staff, they they jumped in my mug, you know. We had two timeouts in 24 seconds. Okay, or you know, because I had the, you know, there's a logical thought that okay, let's we got the ball coming up in the second half and let's not screw it up here, you know. But uh, but the other side of it, the logic is we got Russell, you know, and Russell makes great decisions and he understands the situations. He know he knows exactly as much as you could know about these kinds of situations. And Paul, to take it down to the other end of the field, you know, for well, and so so we hit the big, we get the timeout, we hit the big play, we get the timeout. Here we go. 
and there was uh, like 10 seconds left or something like that, you know, and, and around about the, I don't know, six or eight yard line, whatever it was. We, we practice that all the time. We really, we actually practice those situations all the time so that when we get there, we can be confident and bold and go for it. Russ knows what he's doing. He knows he, how, he knows how much time he has. He's not going to screw that up. And, and what could happen is the ball could get tipped or something and, you know, you could always make a mistake there that could arise or a guy, uh, you know, maybe he, a rush happens and he gets sacked or something like that, then, you, you know, you lost it. But it's worth, it's worth the shot going for it. And we've earned that by preparing for that. And so it's, it's not even a big deal. You know, we knew exactly what was going on and it was easy, you know, and, and for us. And, you know, you take us all the way back to the Super Bowl. That was the one I think that might have challenged a lot, a lot of people. It might have been a six second situation there too, you know, and, and, uh, but if you've, you know, if you haven't practiced that stuff, then you, then it's just a crapshoot. That's not what we're that's not what we're doing. We're in this thing. We've we've taken tons and tons of snaps down inside the 15 yard line, the 18 yard line, and moving on in. And how much can we get done, and how much time, and what routes fit the situation, and all of that. Mainly, the key of, to all of it is Russell. He has to know what's going on. He has to be able to make the right choice at the right time. You know, freaking phenomenal decision, great read, and and hit it just perfectly. Yeah, and of course, that's the thing with Russell Wilson being right now the best quarterback in football, <clears throat> even outperforming Patrick Mahomes, everything seems to be clicking. And, you know, that's the thing that, uh, you know, I know people continue to worry about the numbers as far as where they are, as far as yards, uh, all the points allowed and all those different things, and certainly the yards allowed passing and that. I mean, this team's 4-0, and and is arguably, we'll see where we go with Green Bay tonight, uh, the number one seed in the NFC. And with the schedule that is only going to get easier easier after they get past this Vikings game you know they have a chance now if they can go you know four and two in the division to maybe win 12 or 13 games but it's so different but it's also so different in the league you know I've been totaling up the numbers and NFC teams are averaging uh, 27 points a game which is even more than the 24 plus in the in the AFC because the AFC has younger quarterbacks and I counted up there's nine quarterbacks in the NFC that are on pace for 4,000 yards and right now you got Dak Prescott averaging over 400 yards a game and they've already played him. So Curtis I mean, you know, where everybody seems to, you know, and dur- during the time you were away everybody's been banging his team, fire the defensive coordinator, get rid of all the defensive players and that, but it's still a league-wide thing right now where the old phrase was, defense wins championships, that's been outdated for more than 20 years, it's quarterbacks who's win championships and right now this is the year of the quarterback. Yeah, there's no defense at all being played across the NFL right now. And I look at this Seahawks team, and I'm kind of spotlighting those five games immediately coming out of the bye week, John. If they can get through that gauntlet at about 3-2 and two or 4-1, and one, I mean, watch out. This is going to be a, a tremendous season for the Seahawks at Arizona, at home against San Francisco, at Buffalo, at the Rams, and at home against the Cardinals. That's five really tough games right there against five teams uh, that can knock you off at any moment. I look at this Seahawks team, and, and if they can get through that, I mean, this is going to be a special, special regular season for them. Uh, I would expect them to beat Minnesota on Sunday to go 5-0, and uh, and then you've got that bye the following week. Uh, but, John, just looking at how the Seahawks have played this year, every game they've scored at least 30 points. Every game, Russell Wilson has just looked so, so good. How much is it? Russell Wilson being amazing and how much is it for the Seahawks offense is it you know the aggressive play calling that we've seen from Brian Schottenheimer and company you know what 
what do you think the percentage breakdown is of that? And Russell Wilson, obviously Russell doing the execution, but you know, getting the type of plays that he wants to execute. You know, getting the passing downs where he's getting you know first and second down passes, and he's actually passing more on first down than he ever has. I think that you can see that they've gone to him with the let Russ cook the idea of trying to go ahead and get uh, you know more more tempo and different things like that. I think it's helped that, uh, you know, Brian is up in the uh, coach's box and there's good communication. And even when there's no communication, like they was in that fourth quarter, you know, Russell was able to just run the offense, do those things and make the big plays to be able to win the game. And so uh, I think that's the, the beauty of what's going on with this team right now, because there's so many good things on offense, but then also don't discount the talent. I mean, certainly when you have two receivers as good as DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, when you have David Moore coming on, Freddie Swain showing some things, and then you've got a great group of tight ends and, sec- and, and an offensive line that, you know, we, we said it, nobody believed it, but now you can see it, it is blocking better. I mean, you see Russell Wilson sometimes out there with almost four seconds to throw the football, and you saw a game yesterday where they didn't have a penalty. Yeah, there was one penalty called, but it was a penalty that uh, you know was offset. Uh, it was a holding penalty, but it was erased. And so they go through the game, no penalties, and he had no penalties on special teams. I think so much of this has to be the fact that the talent is there, too. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I think the Seahawks' offense is the most complete we've ever seen it in in Russell Wilson's career here in Seattle. Like you mentioned, the you know the receivers that he's throwing to, and, and this is a receiving core that is going to get more weapons as the season progresses. We we still haven't seen Philip Dorsett out there. We still have not seen Josh Gordon on the field. Those are two guys who are likely to return within the next few weeks. I'm I'm hoping. I would hope that Josh Gordon is finally able to get a resolution here from the NFL, but Philip. Dorsett, he's been on IR to start the season, uh, but he can come off at it any time. So uh, there's another weapon who, with you know, as Pete Carroll once called him, the fastest guy we've ever had in our program here in Seattle. So I, I look at this offense, John, and, and the aggressive play calling it works so it works to a degree that we have not seen it here in Seattle, just because of how great the weapons are that Russ has. I mean, the the running backs yesterday, even after Carson was out for a little bit. I thought DJ Dallas and Travis Homer held their own. Uh, you know, it goes to show how deep this group is because Carlos Hyde was inactive yesterday. Carlos Hyde was a thousand yard rusher mm-hmm. a year ago. Uh, so there's just so much to, to play with in terms of of options when you're Brian Schottenheimer. I bet he this is the most fun he's ever had calling plays. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, you could tell at the first two games that he coached how much he uh, respected and liked uh, Russell Wilson because he actually let him pass more than they wanted. And so, uh, you know, that, that, and of course they fixed that up, but now you can see how they've grown together over the three years that they've been together right now. And it seems to be only getting better. Yeah, I think so. I, and I think this team is definitely setting up for a, an incredible run through the regular season. And they have, cl- they've clearly shown through the first four games they're the best team in the NFC West. Uh, and now they're really going to have an opportunity as they face all four or all three teams in the NFC West over the next month and a half here. No doubt about it. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we'll chat with Brady Henderson of ESPN.com. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us now is Brady Henderson. And so, Brady, do you kind of think, even though, again, they gave up yards, and they're right now the 32nd-ranked defense in football as far as yards allowed and giving up a lot of points, that uh, the, the fans will be a little bit okay with this 4-0 start and yesterday's win over Miami? Yeah, I think they should be. And, you know, they, they did give up a lot of yards again yesterday, over 400 again. Uh, but I don't look at the total yards so much as I look at the fact that they gave up fewer of those, you know, big chunk plays. And I think the number over the first three weeks was 13 passing plays of over 25 yards, the most in the NFL. And they gave up only one of those yesterday. So I'm sure that was the area that Pete Carroll wanted to see improvement most than he saw yesterday. So wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I thought that uh, Shaquille Griffin bounced back from a tough game in week three and being the most picked upon cornerback in football the first three weeks with 22 of 27 completions against him. But I thought he bounced back and had a real good game. He did, yeah. He made a couple big plays late in that game. And, you know, he said something interesting postgame about how Bobby Wagner was telling them, you know, late in that game to stay aggressive. And, we heard from players and coaches, you know, that one of the big problems over the first three weeks, you know, one of the reasons why they gave up so many yards was they kind of took a conservative approach late in games with the way that they covered just because they were protecting big leads. And so it sounds like they were really trying to do the opposite of that and to stay aggressive. And that interception that he made, that was a pretty aggressive play, as was that diving pass breakup that he made in the end zone. And so... That was, uh, I think that was part of the difference is that they kind of took a different approach late in that game and weren't playing as soft in coverage, weren't playing as conservatively, and you saw that it, it helped uh, Griffin on those two plays there. How do you explain Ryan Neal, a guy that was on the practice squad, was kind of an afterthought, and that comes back last week, makes the key interception. Uh, now you're down to your third uh, string strong safety, and he comes in, he plays the entire game, doesn't miss a snap, makes some big plays, makes some big hits. Explain Ryan Neal. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, and he was saying after that game last week when he sealed that win with an interception at Dak Prescott, he was saying that, you know, as a guy who's kind of been on the fringe, right, of NFL rosters, a guy who's been up and down between practice squads and the active rosters, he was saying that, you know, he's been close to kind of giving it up and starting to think about what he would do, uh, you know, if football didn't work out, and obviously it's working out pretty well for him. You know, Pete Carroll, I thought it was interesting when he said this morning on, on uh, Danny and, and Gallant that you know, it wasn't just those two plays that he played well. He's talking about you know the interception that he had on that first possession, and then uh, shortly after that, I think he had a big hit to break up a pass. Carroll said that really he played well the entire game, and um, that's all you could ask for from your third-string safety. And like you said, you know, Lionel Hill would have been starting there, I'm sure, if, if uh, he were available, uh, but he was not, so... When a third-string safety plays like that, that that's a, a sign that you've got pretty good depth there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, of course, Russell Wilson, just in another incredible game. Of course, the story that he told after the game is that uh, the headsets went out when the uh, score got down with Miami coming back to 17-15. And so he just called the plays, and he had a quick drive downfield for a score. Yep, and, and I'm guessing that Russell does not mind it at all when the headset goes out because that gives him an opportunity to take control and to call those plays. And I think he said it happened one play into that fourth quarter touchdown drive that resulted in his 17-yard touchdown pass to David Moore. And that's happened before. I think it happened last year in Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. And it just it's something that happens in the NFL when you're relying on 
uh, you know, technology that sometimes will fail you. And Russell says that he's always prepared for those moments, and you saw it again yesterday. You know, he called, I think, there were six plays on the drive. It was four Wilson passes. He was four of four for 65 yards, and they had a couple of runs in there. And so, you know, that, that's something that, you know, just another another reason why Russell Wilson is who he is. Uh, does not get panicked, does not get phased in those moments where he really has to take control. Yeah. Then, of course, uh, David Moore had some big plays. And it's interesting to see because uh, he's kind of like the speedier, bigger version of Jermaine Curse, the guy that, uh, when needed, can come up with a big play that can help you win. Yeah, you know, I had never thought about that, John, but that, that's an interesting comparison because they do seem like guys who are about similar size, but Curse has probably better, I'm sorry, David Moore has probably a little bit better athleticism um, then Curzon, you've seen it there. You know, you saw uh, he made that just ridiculously acrobatic touchdown catch against the Patriots in Week Two, where he really, you know, showed that great footwork near the goal line. Um, he was wide open on that big play yesterday. That it was really a big turning point in that game. I felt like, um, you know, their decision to keep their foot on the gas late in the first half, when you really, you know, I, I think in maybe in years past they would have said, you know, with 24 seconds on the clock and needing to go 75 yards and knowing that they were going to get the ball to begin the third quarter, I think there's times in the past where they would have just said, okay, let's just kneel out the clock and, and get ready for the third quarter. They kept their foot on the gas. They went for it. Wilson found that, that big 57-yard play that David Moore to set up that touchdown. And I think that is that and the decision to go for it on fourth down, also in the first half, they didn't get it. But I think those two decisions really show a lot of faith in an offense with, you know, in a quarterback that are red hot right now. And, and David Moore has been a part of that. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Chris Carson gutted through uh, that game. You know, he came off the knee injury and battled through that. He it looked like he almost had a concussion, but uh, boy, the power of his running is remarkable. It really is. And, and, you know, I, I, I think we all would have expected at some point with as much as they've been relying on, on Wilson and we all thought that eventually they would there would be a game where they would really need Chris Carson to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I don't think anybody who's, who watched what happened last week when he was down in the turf and pain holding his left knee, I don't think anybody would have expected it to happen this week in Miami, just given that he was only seven days removed from what looked like it could be a very serious knee injury. And yet there he is, not missing a practice last week, makes the start in Miami, goes for 80 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, another 20 yards out of the backfield receiving. So, um, you know, you just heard all of the all of the ways that teammates and Pete Carroll described Carson afterwards. Carroll called him a stud. DK Metcalf called him an animal. Uh, KJ Wright called him just a dog. Um, you really get a sense of, of how teammates and how that coaching staff feels about Carson. And, you know, as mad as, as, those, as that team was about the play that injured Carson last week, I think they were just as happy to see him bounce back the way he did. You know, during the off season, I know you got asked questions about this. I got asked questions because people people bring it up here. Oh, they're going to cut KJ Wright and save some cap room and all that stuff. I, I said no, and I think you can see. And I know you said no too. It's like you can see why. I mean, uh, the game that he had yesterday, I thought was the best game I've ever seen him play. He had the eight tackles. He had the three pass defenses. Two of them he should have intercepted, but he still got the pass defenses, forced a fumble, made big hits. I mean, he was phenomenal. He really was, and that was the second week in a row that he had a really good game. I believe he was their defensive player of the game uh, and, you know, the, the awards that they give out within the team. I believe he was that guy last week, too. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he should have had at least two, maybe three interceptions, but 
you notice he, he really didn't seem all that all that uh, bummed out about those post game. He said that he should have caught them, uh, but he he seemed pretty happy with the way he played, and you can't blame him because you know to get to even get in position for those interceptions or those would be interceptions, you've got to be doing something right, and he was in the right place. He got himself in the right place three times yesterday, and um, it was just an overall good game. You saw him just blow up a couple screen passes, which is something that he has had a really good knack for over his career. And, yeah, I mean, he should have had at least a couple interceptions, but the bigger picture takeaway for me is that he's still playing at a very high level at 31 years old and then 10 years in the NFL. And um, that's a really good sign, just given how much that depth at linebacker is being tested right now with Bruce Irvin out for the season and Jordan Brooks out for now, at least with that knee injury. Let's stay on the injury front. Uh, the fact that they came out of the game pretty spotless as far as injuries. How many guys do you think they get back this week? Yeah, and that that was another big uh, a big part of that game yesterday is not getting any more banged up than they already were. So the big question marks this week are whether or not they're going to get Jamal Adams, Quentin Dunbar, and Jordan Brooks back, and, and Lionel Hill for that matter too. And you know, Pete Carroll had an interesting comment last week talking about how the bye week coming up after this game against Minnesota would factor into their thinking with guys like Jamal Adams and Quentin Dunbar. And if I understood him correctly, he was saying that. You know, if those guys were kind of on the fringe, like only only barely getting back this week, that they might actually consider pressing them another week and having them come back after the bye. And that way, instead of being on one week's rest, those guys would be on three weeks rest. And the idea there is that they would have a much better chance of being back for good with that long rest as opposed to bringing them back uh, after missing just one game. Yeah, no doubt. So a uh, little bit of a, uh, a, I guess that could be a good thing there. So Minnesota is going to be the challenge. And of course, uh, you know, they've had success against Kirk Cousins and success against the Minnesota Vikings. And the Vikings come in with a lot of inexperienced cornerbacks to try to go against Russell Wilson. Yep. And, and it's a, uh, it's a primetime game, primetime home game, which as we all know, John, that's been a very tough combination uh, to, to beat the Seahawks, and they've been really good in primetime. They've been almost unbeatable in primetime home games, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Kirk Cousins' record in primetime games is, is not nearly as good, and so um, certainly some of that advantage gets taken away when you're talking about playing uh, a home game without any fans in the stands, but um, just the history there really is, favors the Seahawks in this one. No doubt. Read Brady Henderson at ESPN.com. Brady, thank you so much. All right, thanks for having me, John. Take care. Okay, sounds good. Be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. We're going to come back and catch you up on the National Football League as we go behind the lines. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Okay, so uh, we go behind the lines right now, and boy, I tell you what, I mean, the scoring in the National Football League continues to be amazing. And so far, 3,151 points are scored, and that doesn't count what we have tonight with the Green Bay Packers going up against an Atlanta team that gives up over 30 points a game, and the fact that Kansas City is going up against the New England Patriots, and you know where Kansas City can go as far as their offense. So we're seeing record numbers right now. And Russell Wilson is playing right into those records. But I'll tell you the thing that I thought was interesting this week is how this division, which, of course, got off to one of the greatest starts ever, but to lose two games yesterday. I still thought with the Philadelphia Eagles coming in with five 
offensive lineman on injured reserve without a hardly any receiving core that uh, they'd be able to pull that out, but they didn't. And so they lose 25 to 20 to the Eagles. And so now they're two and two and show at the moment that they, because well, remember, they opened up and you know, you've got uh, Arizona at two and two, two easy games against the Jets and the Giants, you know, right now, the way they are with their injuries, they're going to struggle to beat winning teams. In fact, they're two and two. And what is it now? You've got uh, only two wins, th- three wins right now with the uh, teams that they faced in four games. Because, you know, you got Arizona with two wins. You've got Philadelphia with one, two and one. And so, Curtis, it's like, uh, is it panic time right now in San Francisco? It's getting close. I think if they fall below 500 here, I, I think the 49ers really have to reassess what they plan on doing this season. And you know, getting Jimmy Garoppolo back, I think, is going to be key number one for them to make a run at the postseason. But everybody kind of thought that Nick Mullins was going to be an okay replacement for him. Every time that Mullins has had to start for San Francisco, they you know they haven't had a significant drop off in their production. But that was clearly not the case last night. And then, uh, John, I mean, I, I know you and I and, and pretty much every Seahawks fan is not surprised by this, but guess who's going back on IR or who's likely going to go back on IR? That'd be Ziggy Ansah, torn bicep. And, uh, I mean, that's just kind of what you expect with, with him. And, you know, he was brought in to, to kind of take some of the relief off of Nick Bosa, but right now it's back to the drawing board for the 49ers. And, and if they're as wounded as they've been right now, I think the Rams and the Seahawks are the two teams that are looking at that, and and they've got you know there's blood in the water, and they're smelling it, and they could they could soon pounce. Oh yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, then Arizona, uh, after their decent start against San Francisco, they've now lost two out of their last three games, but they lose them to Detroit and Carolina, two teams that expect to be drafting in the top ten next year. Yeah, that was not a good loss at all by the Cardinals yesterday. Uh, really just, you know, hard to explain because their offense looks so good, or at least the pieces look so good, and yet the Panthers just had their way with uh, Arizona all day yesterday. Uh, it was a pretty easy win for them. And in Carolina, like you said, John, they don't really have any plans of contention this year. They go out and they hand the Cardinals an L and, all of a sudden, you've you've got a, a NFC West that's starting to separate a little bit. You've got the Seahawks and Rams sort of on that top tier, and now the 49ers and Cardinals uh, may have to eat each other alive if they want to get back into this. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So that, I think, was a major, major surprise in the sense that I thought that they'd go there and uh, get the win, but they didn't. And so now all of a sudden, and that's the one thing, particularly in an NFC right now where you have nine quarterbacks on a pace for over 4,000 yards, I mean, you can't fall behind. You've got to stay ahead. And that's why I think what you're seeing is offense is putting the pedal to the metal and trying to just uh, you know get better and better because, hey, defense right now is just not Vogue. It's not. It's definitely not. And uh, you know, pretty much every every team we're going to watch tonight, like you mentioned, John, they're they're not going to be stuffing teams. You know, they're not going to be pitching shutouts at all. These are going to be high scoring games. We're going to see uh, pretty much the rest of the way. I would be shocked if the Seahawks, uh, you know, if their their defense somehow turns into like an lob era type where they're you know keeping teams off the scoreboard. Who would have thought in the game without Jamal Adams and and you know other key contributors, Quentin Dunbar. It would be their best defensive game of the season. They didn't allow a touchdown until very late into that game. Um, but it's it's just so bizarre how defenses, especially this season, have had such troubles. I think there was a text coming in uh, on the Vizzy Hart Seltzer text line 
on the 253. It says the fact the defense is so bad across the league, I think, shows how much of a difference fans make. And there may be something to that, at least, you know, home games, you know, you see teams sort of feeding off that energy from the fans, especially here in Seattle, John. Do you think, you know, empty stadiums may have a bit of an impact on how high-scoring games have been so far? Well, it certainly has an impact right now on the game itself because uh, I have to just look over at it, but it's like uh, home teams right now are 29-30-1. 29-30-1. And so home field advantage just isn't there. And uh, I think, you know, you look at the fact that, you know, the crowd noise doesn't come up to help the team in their clutch situations in the fourth quarter. And there's been a lot of fourth quarter comebacks. Then you also look at the uh, the numbers as far as holding penalties and how limited those numbers are. And so you put all that together and what you're seeing right now is a, uh, a league that uh, is all prone to go offense. And right now with the quarterbacks and the way most of them are playing, I don't see it changing. Yeah, I don't see it changing either. And if you can get a quarterback thrown for 400 yards, most teams are going to take that because there's a good chance you're going to win. Obviously, the Seahawks have had good luck against that this year, but uh, who knows how that could go the rest of the way. A team that does give up a lot of points, John, we saw it a week ago with the Cowboys. Uh, Vice President Stephen Jones did his radio show on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas uh, was asked about the possibility of making drastic changes. He had a quote. He said, "We just have to be better. We have to get to. We have, we've got to go to work. Now's not the time to think about things like that." I'm very convicted about this staff. I'm very convicted about this team. So it doesn't look like any sort of changes on the way in Dallas, John. But if if they're going to change anything, it's got to be on the defensive side of the ball. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's a thing. I think that uh, you know Mike Nolan is now the defensive coordinator, and you watched it a week ago, and it was certainly worse against Cleveland and giving up forty nine points to purely a running team, a running team that lost its best running back Nick Chubb for six weeks with an MCL sprain. You know they came out, and you know he's made it too confusing. You know, you can see that uh, they want to be a hybrid 4-3-3-4 defense. That's not working. They, there's miscommunication problems that are just major uh, on the field. And it's like sometimes you try to do too much. And that's the idea. When you change coaches, you know, you have to change. Sometimes you change systems. And their system has been a 4-3 defense for the longest time. And they drafted 4-3 players. But you can see that DeMarcus, DeMarcus Lawrence, you can see that uh, Everson Griffin, they don't feel comfortable, you know, with uh, not in a three-point stance at times. Yeah. Um, also, John, we've, we're a quarter of the way through the season. Uh, a few rookie quarterbacks have made their debuts. Joe Burrow and, and Justin Herbert both have looked good. Uh, yesterday, I thought Justin Herbert looked really good on a couple of throws, a couple of deep throws. Uh, went 20-25, to did throw a late interception uh, in the Chargers' loss to Tampa Bay. Uh, John, you look at this rookie quarterback class. We haven't seen Tua yet. Um, how are you grading it so far through the season's first quarter? Oh, you have to give it an A because uh, you know you've got uh, even though he has no offensive line, uh, they you you got Joe Burrow doing great, and here's Justin Herbert. You know, it's like he comes out and again he looks he's Matt Ryan. That's who he is. He's Matt Ryan, and you know he, he's down some weapons. I mean, that, they lose uh, Austin Eckler, uh, their running back yesterday. You know, they got some injuries at the receiver position, but he just stands in the pocket and where he runs or whatever, he just does a good job. And I think people underestimated how good he was. But, boy, I think the Burrow-Herbert thing looks good. And I know having just seen and talked to everybody with the Dolphins, they're not probably thinking that Tua is going to be on the field until November. I mean, he didn't do well in training camp. He uh, was still kind of behind on all that stuff. He just didn't wow anybody. But when you're looking at Burrow, you're looking at Herbert, they wow you. Yeah. 
and they got they got arms. They got great decision making. And you know, we, we heard a couple weeks ago Anthony Lynn, the Chargers head coach, say that you know Tyrod Taylor is still the starter. I don't think you could ever go back to him at this point. I mean, Justin Herbert has looked good in his first two starts, one in an emergency situation. Uh, I, I think you got to keep riding that hot hand if you're L.A. because your future is tied to Justin Herbert. You want to get him as many reps as possible. Yeah. What we're going to do next is, as we do every Monday, we're going to take your phone calls at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-3776. Talking about the 4-0 start, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.